and we want to pick up with, I believe it's number three in this second series of Poet Warrior King about the life of David. If you would stand with me, please, this morning, I want to jump in quickly. I'm not going to do a lot of review, uh, just to basically get our regular scripture that we've been saying. Hopefully, uh, it's, it's about three verses long, and hopefully getting it committed to memory in our hearts, because there are principles there that are critical and are important for us. Today's message title is called Not Without a Fight. Look at your neighbor and say, some things don't come without a fight. Say it one more time, not without a fight. All right, our text this morning is our series text from Psalm 78, verse 70. Read with me. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. We know the story of how God takes David out of an obscure place. You know, you don't have to know all the right people. You just need to know one, and his name is, is the Father. His name is God, and through Jesus Christ, okay? And so David comes to a place from complete total obscurity, comes to a place of the preeminent position of Israel as the king of Israel because he had the favor of God on his life. This morning the text is found for this message today is one verse only. 2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1. Let's read together. There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. I want to resist the temptation to just jump in and preach right here at this point because there's a lot said right there. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, thank you today that you are a God who is greater than any other. Thank you this morning as we worship you in this place. Lord, we're, we just have to stop and acknowledge your goodness to us. It absolutely is indescribable. It blows our minds, Father. Lord, it's more than we deserved. It's nothing that we could earn. We, we, we know that we weren't good enough to even be in the place that you have brought us to today, a place of blessing, a place of fullness. God, we ask you today as we bring our hearts to focus upon you that you would move through this service, that you would speak through my words, Father, that you would open our ears to hear and our eyes to see. We'll be careful to give you the praise because, Holy Spirit, you're the only teacher. I can't do anything without you. I, I acknowledge that. I need you, Lord, more than I've ever needed you before. And I thank you, Jesus, that you're in this place today to answer the heart cry of every individual, no matter the circumstance, no matter how great the mountain, Lord, no matter how low the valley and the challenge, Lord, uh, the, the, the thing that seems to trap my brother, my sister in, 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 in the, the circumstance of their life today, Father, thank you that you're a God who is greater than and you can break bondage in Jesus' name. We ask you to move in this service this morning by your Holy Spirit. We'll be careful to give you all the praise for it's in the name of your son Jesus that we pray and all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of of the Lord. We've buried Saul and Jonathan, two men who died with very different legacies. We've seen from last week how God spoke to David, a king who was determined to be dependent on the Lord because a godly leader is always dependent on God. You don't move to a place of arrogance or self-confidence and begin to operate out of your own skill set apart from the direction of the Lord. The Bible says David inquired of the Lord. He asked God. He asked God for direction. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to go up 
to the cities of Judah? The Lord says, yes, go up. David says, which one? And the Lord spoke to him and says, Hebron. Hebron, we preached it last week, not to go back through and review, but very simply it means to join. And it's not just being attracted to a group and saying, I'm going to affiliate. But it, there's a cost with the concept of the principle that is there that's stamped all over it is the idea of covenant. Everybody say covenant. A covenant is something that is cut. There is a sacrifice that is given. There is blood that's shed. There are promises that are made that are expected to be kept because God only builds with loyal covenant keepers. Now, He forgives covenant breakers, but He can't build with covenant breakers. You can be His child... How many of you know, uh, if you're going to inherit the business, if you're going to inherit the family business, you can have uh, all kinds of crazy nonsense going on in your life and mom and dad will forgive you, but they ain't ever going to trust you with handling the family business until you learn how to be responsible. Come on. You can be an heir. You can, be, you can have an inheritance that is coming your way, but you're never going to realize your destiny and the legacy you can leave behind you until you learn to be loyal to those that God has joined you to. Uh, this is the same principle in marriage. You're not going to have a marriage that lasts until you learn to truly in every way be loyal to the one God's joined you to. What God has joined together, let not man separate. Old English says, let not man put asunder. Who knows what asunder means? How many of you saw something asunder this week? I, I, who knows asunder, A-S-U-N-D-E-R. It means to separate. And so we don't talk that way anymore, so we use a translation that is easy to understand. What God joins together, let not man separate. So we, we preached Hebron last week, coming up, going up higher, calling up beyond the status quo. It's not the accessibility of Adullam, but it's going to cost us something to, to go up and ascend with our heavenly David, which is Jesus. It's going to, we're, we're going to have to identify in every kind of way. We're going to have to uh, realize when we make promises that we keep them even when it's not convenient. Somebody say amen. I learned the... The hard way, uh, so quickly under the pressure of balancing ministry and work when my son was little and, and, and things were just crazy and having to, to be able to just dot so many I's and cross so many T's and the expectations of people and I would be away from the house and, and, and several nights a week because I was working uh, a full-time job as a junior accountant at Health First Medical Group just trying to get a little bitty tiny, basically it was a home group. But we called it Victory, called it Victory Fellowship at the time. And I remember making a promise to Drew. I hadn't been able to do some things with him, and he was a young, young boy and just wanting some time with Dad. And I said, Drew, I promise you, I promise you, I, I will do such and such. And then we had a crisis hit and had to immediately go and minister to those people. And I didn't show when I told Drew that I would show. And when I did, he was a little four-year-old boy with tears in his great big blue, steel blue eyes. And the tears rolled down his face and he said, Dad, you gave away your promise. And I can tell the story today and it still kind of breaks me up because when he said it, there was nothing I could say. I knew that as an adult, he didn't understand the demands that were on me, but I promised him something and then didn't deliver. And I, I got down on my knees and I said, Drew, I want you to forgive me. Papa's, he called me Papa. I said, Papa has learned a hard lesson. I'm going to make sure that I guard my words because from now on when I say I promise I'll do something, I'm going to make sure that I can keep my word. How many of you know it matters to your kids what you promise them you're going to do for them? And it matters to God. You make a vow to God. The Bible says better not to vow than to vow and not, not keep it. And so we need to keep our word. We need to be people of our word. We need to keep our covenant with the Lord. Somebody say amen. So this morning as we jump into...
this passage today, there is one thing that I'd like you to grasp with me that I want you to see. The title of the message is called Not Without a Fight. And the one thing that I want you to take away that I want to do my best to kind of weave like a chorus through this message is seeing the promises of God fulfilled in your life will require a fight. Seeing the promises of God fulfilled in your life is going to require a fight. One more time, say, not without a fight. Without now, I want you to grasp these four things. You, you, we, we zoomed in last week, and we went micro. We, we grabbed seven principles out of about seven verses, out of 2 Samuel 2. This is going to be a summation because we're actually going to grab four big general ideas, principles, out of about three chapters because we're, we're looking at a period of about seven years from the time where the men of Judah came to David and anointed him as king over Judah and the time where he actually becomes the king over all of Israel and the fragmented, disjointed tribes once again come back together with one king. Because if you read... 2 Samuel chapter 2, after David went up to Hebron and he obeyed the word of the Lord when God said, go up, and David said, which city? And God says, Hebron. And he took the men with him and their, and their wives and they lived in the towns of the region of Israel called Hebron. And we talked about covenant and we preached how important it was to identify that and the cost to be paid and the loyalty required in that. And the scripture says that while that was going on in Judah and the men were recognizing and realizing David to be their king, there was something happening back in Israel. The house of Saul was in disarray because Saul had died in battle and his first three sons, his best, the very best of the very best that had been trained, raised up in the best schools of Israel, trained in military tactics, athletes, Every one of them had died, and the only one that was left was Ishbosheth. And actually, there's a story about his name because his actual name is Ishbael, which literally is a, a, a reverence to man worshiping Baal. Because Ish means man, it actually means weak mortal man. Okay? And so Ishbael was his name. Uh, but the writer who was from the school of prophets who finished Samuel, finished this book for us historically after Samuel died, was so ashamed of the king of Israel having a son that revered the god of Baal, the, the cow god, the bull god, a fertility cult that had been worshipped in that whole Canaanite region. He was so ashamed that he basically changed the name of the son of Saul from Ishbael to Ishbosheth. Ish means man, and Bosheth means shameful thing. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, Shame, shame. So basically, his name was Man of Shame. Now, can you imagine being the son of the king and being called Man of Shame? Every time you answer to somebody referring to you, and the scripture says that Abner, who was the general of Saul's army, immediately went after Saul and his first three, first three sons died, and he took Ishbosheth, man of shame, took him down to a location and grabbed a priest, and they anointed him, and they made him king over Israel. Now, immediately, Abner knows, he's already heard the stories, the reputation is out and the word has been resounding for some time that God was raising up a new king in the place of Saul after Saul would die. And Abner purely 
is, is about trying to protect his own position as the commanding general of the army of Israel. It's all about protecting his own power. So he wants to keep somebody in place in the dynasty. Everybody say the house of Saul. Now, we refer to all of these dynasties as a house, the house of Saul, the house of David. This is a covenantal term because we refer to victory as a house. It's a spiritual house. It's built up a place of structure where sons and daughters are born. If people are walking in covenant together, and I don't want to get ahead of myself because it's my next point, but we will see spiritual reproduction. We'll see people being uh, literally renewed in their thinking, in their minds, and beginning to know what it means to, to see the blessing of God come in their lives because they're, they're seeing the image of Christ being worked into them only by the power of the Holy Spirit because man can't do it. A program won't do it. It's going to take the Spirit of God to do it. Somebody say amen. amen. Point number one, a kingdom leader always, or kingdom leader realizes there are always those who refuse to let go of the past. A kingdom leader realizes there are always those who refuse to let go of the past. And if you want to do some background study behind this, this is 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 8 through 32. And it's Abner putting Ishbosheth, the man of shame, in the place of Saul. The scripture says that he reigned for about two years. Now, he's not a leader of any kind, it's pitiful. Uh, I don't want to offend anybody, but he's a pansy. Uh, and maybe that's kind of an old school white guy term, I don't know, but this, you, you, you can get the, the, the drift. I mean, there's no strength, you know, little old pansy just kind of flop over. Uh, it's, it might be pretty, but there's no strength. And, and you think of somebody that's lacking backbone, you think of someone that has no fortitude, uh, just, I can't, I don't think there are better words than to say what I've said twice, I'm going to say it again, there's, everybody say, no strength. So, uh, th this is what's going on. Abner moves basically to just protect his own power. And, and as we, we hear the story of what's going on, David is up in Hebron in the high places. Blessing of God is beginning to happen among those people. Families are increasing. God is bringing strength to their numbers because the Bible says the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker, but the house of David grew stronger and stronger. And I'm going to open that up in just a moment. But as you continue to read through the rest of 2 Samuel chapter 2, you see the story about a famous battle that happened at Gibeon. And several of the best warriors of Abner's army from Israel meet up with several of Joab. Joab is the commander of David's army. And they meet at what's called the Pool of Gibeon. And Abner is pretty smart. He's an older guy. Joab's a little bit younger. He's probably a little bit edgy in terms of reactionary. And Abner has some wisdom on him. He basically knows that we've got kind of an intramural fight here, if I can put it that way. It's more than just an intramural debate, but it's a fight that is between brothers. Let me just characterize it correctly. Everybody say civil war. It's something that's going on when a house becomes divided. Israel... Their tribes are fragmented and they have drawn battle lines and sides because there are some who are choosing to remain faithful to a dynasty that's dead that the prophet of God has already said the judgment of the Lord is coming and God would rip the kingdom from Saul and his family. And there are those who are already joining to the new thing that God is doing. And because of that, there's conflict. 
And it's conflict between people that are related. It's conflict between bloodlines. It's conflict between people who share the same heritage of great-great-great-grandfathers. They all go back to worship the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They're all connected to the covenant. Every one of these men are marked in their flesh with the, the seal of the covenant of circumcision and they are different from the rest of the world and the peoples and the tribes around them, those 12 tribes of Israel and their civil war between the tribes of Israel. And so Abner suggests, bring out 12 of your best and I'll send out 12 of my best. And of course what happens is all 24 of them ended up dying in this kind of representative warrior challenge and they ended up in a skirmish and the scripture says that the house of David beat down that day. Those of the, uh, of the leadership under, under Joab of the house of David literally beat down Abner and his army and the destruction was great. When they all went home and counted, uh, David's side had only lost a few and Abner had lost hundreds. And so we were seeing the hand of the Lord, the blessing of the Lord on the new thing under those that were fighting to raise the banner of David against those that were fighting to raise the banner of Ishbosheth. And, and there's a hot pursuit. Joab had a brother, younger brother, that was very athletic. He, the scripture says that he was swift as a wild gazelle. Look at his look at name and say he could run. So we're talking about a track star. We're talking about Olympic gold medal potential qualifying characteristics, long stretched out, lanky arms, big, you know, maybe a sprinter. We're talking about somebody who can just kick it in gear and go, whew, I mean, it's like Roadrunner. So Asahel is his name, and he is pursuing Abner. And Abner is probably a 40-something general, and Asahel is 20-something. How many of you know you don't run that foot race very long? And Abner's going, you know, dude, what's, what's up? We, we, we've got to quit this civil war fighting because it's, as a matter of fact, he even appeals to Joab at one point and he says to Joab, these were his words, Abner said, he says, shall the sword devour forever? Do, do you not know that the end will be bitter? How long it will it be before you tell your people to turn from the pursuit of their brothers? And le actually, this was the conversation that they had after Asahel continued to pursue Abner, and man, he's hot on his tail. And this old, this forty-something uh, commander of, 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 of Ishbosheth's army is really in pretty amazing shape. He's a, he's an older dude, but he's he stayed in good shape. And so Asahel is just almost getting him. And Abner puts it in another gear, and he turns back and he says, "Chase somebody else." And he takes the butt of his sword, the wooden end, not the sharp point, because he knows that he's fighting a younger brother. And he doesn't want to hurt him. And he's going, Asahel, turn and go chase somebody else today. I don't want to hurt you. And he takes the butt of his, his spear and he tries to just nudge him off. And he hits it hard enough that he drives it all the way through Asahel's torso. And it comes out his back. And this young man who's pursuing the general of the army falls on the ground and dies. And all of Israel grieves because he was, he was like... He was like an athletic idol. He was like someone that everybody knew and they loved and there was just an appeal to him. And the scripture says that the spot where Asahel lay, everybody came by and stood still because they grieved over him. Now you've got to remember who Asahel is. Asahel is Joab's younger brother. He is, he is the younger brother 
of David's commander-in-chief, the commander of David's army. And Joab is a 30-something kind of reactionary, not as much wisdom as the 40-something uh, uh, general of Ishbosheth's army. He'd trained under Saul. Abner was a tactician. He was a strategist. He was smart. He was wise. He was in good shape. And he grieved over the fact because it, it was not intended. He, it was an accident. He was just trying to nudge Azahel off because it was a civil war. And it was the cost of war. It was the cost of things when conflict ensues. There's nothing worse than when a family starts to split apart and conflict enters in and, and folk draw lines and take sides and, and start pointing fingers and, and, and tempers flare and voices raise and sometimes uh, fists are clenched and God forbid sometimes they're drawn back and violence takes place. Even in an individual home, have mercy, Lord, help us. But it's so awful when brothers and tribes begin to fight. And so Abner appeals to Joab in another meeting. And the Bible says, Abner said, As God lives, if you had not spoken, surely the men would not have given up the pursuit of their brothers until the morning. So Joab blew the trumpet, and all the men stopped and pursued Israel no more, nor did they fight anymore. Now, see, what I want you to see is there's always somebody who won't let go of the past. Abner wouldn't let go of his power and so he puts a dummy king in place that just hinders for a little season. It doesn't thwart the purpose of God. Because how many of you know there ain't nothing you can do? You, you can try to throw a, a wrench in the machinery, but if God's purpose is set, you, his will is going to be accomplished. Come on, somebody. David's going to the throne. And, and David's trying to stay sweet and not just put himself forward. But there's going to be a fight. Because now there's another king in place. And this is what I want you to see. Abner wouldn't let go of the past because he was guarding his power. Now, this doesn't relate to any of us because we're not in a, in, in a, in a coup d'etat. We're not involved in pulling somebody down from power in the United States of America and trying to militarily take over and, 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 and form a new government. But there are practical things that I want us to glean from this. How, how can I apply this to my life? Because the history of it, it's something that happened a long time ago in a Bronze Age where people fought with spears and swords. But there's a principle here that's timeless that I can grasp. I want you to see this. What God did can become a hindrance to what God is doing when you revere what God did over what God's doing right now. Now, I, that, I'm going to tell you, if I hadn't said anything else the rest of the day, that'll preach right there. What God did in your life what God did in showing up in uh, an area of your life and answering a prayer and fulfilling a promise, if, if you put that thing to a degree of worship and elevation in your life, it can become a hindrance to what God is presently desiring to do in your life, in your heart. Come on, somebody. Because God doesn't do it the same way all the time. And when you think he's got to do it just like Granny did it, come on, he's going to show up and just, just to show you He's going to do it a different way. Come on, somebody. And he's going to offend some folks in the process because God doesn't mind offending your head in order to reveal your heart. That's a mouthful right there. Joab isn't going to be able to let go of the past either as we look on through this and Asahel's death. What is the application? Have you forgiven yourself for a past sin? Can you let go of the past? Is it about forgiving somebody else who offended you and hurt them? Can you let go of the past? Or are you seething with the seeds of revenge, looking, trying to get back at them? Because that's what we're going to see happens in Joab. 
It's, maybe it's letting go of a previous relationship. Maybe it's the change of some methodology. Church the way you had it when you grew up and not doing it that way today. And folk get offended over that because they think that's the way church ought to be done because that's the way it was back there in Granny's day. And every historical move of the Holy Spirit has a different sound, has different songs. There's an emphasis that the Spirit of God is bringing to the people in order to make them in the image of Jesus. And when we get trapped in what God did, it can become a hindrance to what God is doing. Come on, somebody. Number two, this is a little shorter. Covenantal relationships will always bear fruit. When you read 2 Samuel chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, it says sons were born to David in Hebron. Now, there were no babies born in Adullam. Now, I don't want to be crass, but the obvious here at least can be alluded to a little bit. You, you, you can know why there weren't any sons born in Adullam because it was a stinky, nasty, dark cave. And the wives of the men not going to hang out in no stinky, nasty, dark cave. And if the wives don't hang out with the brothers, there ain't going to be any sons born. Now, you figure that out. I know you can know how that all operates. But after they leave Adullam and they go up to Hebron and they join themselves to David to make him king, the, the, the spiritual reproduction begins to take place. Sons are born. And, and, and any time you're joined to something, it's going to produce some fruit. When you really give yourself and you're all into something and you're passionate and you're investing in it and you're laying your life down, husband for wife, wife for husband, parents for children, children for parents, all for the family, all for one, one for all. All the brothers and sisters in a local congregation begin to give themselves they're joined to the purpose. They've identified the mission that God has given. They've raised up the banner to take hold of the charge and the challenge of the Holy Spirit to touch the delta with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ and to engage people with that, to embrace diversity in our community. And we begin to identify that and we start to love each other, working through the difficulty of covenant because covenant is costly. That's when God shows up and babies start being born. And that's why every Sunday around here you'll see somebody raise their hand and say, I want to cross that line of faith for Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord. Let me tell you, it took us a while to get to that place because there was a dark place back in the early single digits of 2000 where it's like we couldn't get a guest to come in the front door. And I'm just working my fingers down to the bone, praying and I'm fasting and I'm seeking God and we're, we're trying to get this program off the ground and we're trying to increase the worship in the house and training some musicians. I know I'm too loud, baby. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm a little passionate and I scared that one. I'm sorry. I've got to dial it back a little bit. Because when I think about this, I get stirred. We went weeks, no, yay, not just weeks. We went months. We even went a couple of years. Once in a blue moon, we might have a guest walk through the door, and they didn't come back. And you know what? Finally, it's like the Lord peeled my eyes back, peeled the scales back off my eyes, and I saw the constant bickering, gossiping, fighting, just, just stuff going on behind the scenes that I didn't know. People that I loved and trusted. People that I've literally been, been to hell and back with, helping them put their marriages back together. Just constantly critical over nonsensical, stupid stuff. Just, con just, just doing that kind of stuff constantly. And finally one day, I had enough of it. And I went and addressed the mouth. And we cleaned house. We had what you call a Gideon's revival. We, 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 we reduced the number. 
and about five families left. And it's all of a sudden like we rolled in here to end of 2009, and it smelled different. It's like when you, when you get out the Mr. Clean and the Lysol, and you mop the floors, and you wipe the walls down, and, and you put out some Febreze, and you got a little thing plugged into the wall, and you walk in, and you go, man, it smells differently in here. And do you know it's soon. I'm going to tell you, everybody say immediately. Help me preach a little bit. Say right then. As soon as I did that, I'm going to tell you, the whole atmosphere in this place changed. And we started birthing babies. Spiritual babies. Folks started showing up and it was exciting to see the Spirit of God moving. And and I'm going to tell you, it cost me because it hurt me. It broke my heart. And I pleaded with them. I had multiple meetings with some of those folks because they were upset because we were making a few changes because what they'd seen God do in the past, it had become a hindrance to what God was trying to do right now. And I'm going to tell you, I don't care what it is. This isn't just about church, but it's about building a family. Anytime you do something for God, as a kingdom leader, you've got to know there's always going to be somebody who can't let go of the past. Whether it's a past sin or a past uh, a pattern of behavior that you can't break out from, that you keep lured, being lured back into, or, or some kind of change you don't like. I have folks come to me all the time. They're upset because change is happening at work. And I'm going... Well, what's, what's wrong? I mean, if this is automation. This is technological advancement. Got to wake up and smell the coffee. Things are changing. You're going to have to learn how to do some computer programs. Well, they're going to phase my position out. I said, okay, so now we're really getting down to where the rubber meets the road. It isn't about hating the new stuff, but you're getting replaced by some programs and some machinery. Now, you can sit around and you can pout and you can criticize or you can get up off your blessed assurance and you can get trained in that and you can make yourself a viable candidate for a change in your company because guess what? They're looking for people that they can trust who've been with them for 20-something years. Don't complain. Kick yourself in the backside and learn how to do something new. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching so good I'm getting myself excited this morning. The positive side of Hebron, sons are born there. It's the place of joining. It brought reproduction. But there's, it's the power of unity. It's, it's when you can get your act together. Come on, come on. Uh, the, 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 the psalmist said in Psalm 133, he says, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers can dwell together in unity. He says, there God will show up and command the blessing, even life forevermore. Jesus said it this way. He said, if two or three of you can get your act together and show up, I'll show up just to see. That's, the, that's my translation of where two or three of you agree together. There am I in the midst of you. How you like that? If you can get your act together and just hang together for a little bit, I'm going to show up just to see it happening. Oh, my goodness. But there's also a negative side to this because if you read it, there were six different sons born to six different wives. Talk about baby mama and baby daddy. This is the king of Israel. This is the king of Israel who has lost a sense of the law of God and obedience to the commandment of the Lord because after all, he's going to be a king and all the other kings and the other nations around him do it. So I'm a king, I can too. This is where you have to be careful that you're not sucked into what the rest of the world is doing because David just sort of flaunted the commandments of the Lord and it's going to be the beginning of his undoing. David enjoyed indescribable favor but he's going to raise the most outrageously dysfunctional family that you have ever seen. 
It's because of some critical, stupid mistakes that he makes. And he decides that he's going to have a whole, first of all, I just, I don't think there's a man in the room that goes, how in the world could you try to please more than one <laughs> sister at a time? I'm just going to, I'll just leave it alone. I just, I just, just I can't even get my mind around that. <laughs> What's the application here? Pastor, come on, dig it up out of the ditch here. Number one, identify your key relationships and join. Everybody say, be all in. Identify your key relationships and join. Number three, are you getting anything out of this? Sometimes the one who oppose you aren't necessarily or ultimately against you. Because Abner, commander of Ishbosheth's army or of Saul's army, raises up this little pansy leader who's not a leader at all. And in the process, he figures it out. And he's going to end up turning to actually help David become king. Now let me talk a minute about poor little Ishbosheth, because he's just a little innocent young guy who really is more of a follower than a leader. And he was a puppet. He was, he was a pawn that was used by Abner because Abner was merely trying to protect his power as the commander of Israel's army. So Ishbosheth goes to the throne. And he basically questions Abner. There is absolutely no biblical evidence whatsoever for what Ishbosheth is about to accuse Abner of. He accuses Abner of one of his fathers, one of Saul's concubines, and Abner going in to the concubine and them having relations. There is no biblical evidence for this accusation. And, and Ishbosheth basically is paranoid and he's jealous. Everybody say jealous. Now, this is the deal. We as parents teach our children to reproduce the sins of our own lives because what literally was the undoing of King Saul was his jealousy for what God had put in the way of favor on David's life. Saul was paranoid and he was eat up with jealousy and that complete image gets multiplied and mirrored back into Ishbosheth, who's trying to prove himself as a king and let me tell you something. If you're powerful, you don't have to tell anybody about it. Matter of fact, Margaret Thatcher, this is a great quote of an amazing woman from the 20th century who was truly a leader. She says, if you're an influential, you don't have to tell anyone. She says, influence is very much like being a lady. If you are, you don't have to tell it. And if you do, then you're not one. You're not a lady and you're not influential. You're not powerful. If you have to tell folks that you're powerful and you're a leader, then really we have to question whether or not you are. Because if you are, everybody can tell it. And Ishbosheth is jealous and he's paranoid and he's accusing Abner. And Abner basically rises up, and this is what he says Abner's response. Then Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth, and he said, I, Am I a dog's head in Judah? To this day, I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not given you into the hand of David. Abner, he has his moment where he's up to here. And not that tall yet. He says, and yet you charge me today with a fault concerning a woman. Verse 9, listen to this. God do so to Abner and more also if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him. Abner's done. He's standing in the, the face of this little pansy, no backbone king. He says, if I do not do for David what the Lord has sworn to him, verse 10, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba, and Ishbosheth could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. How many of you know that if you're a real leader worth your salt 
and God installs you and makes you a leader, you don't have to fear any man. But if man puts you in, you're going to be scared of everybody. Are you hearing me? You're going to be jealous. You're going to be paranoid. You're going to be looking over your shoulder. That's the difference between the leadership in David and the no leadership in Ishbosheth, the man of shame. What is the application? Keep your heart right towards God and others. Abner sends word to David. He comes up to Hebron and he says, Look, you're the king. God has anointed you. You're the next in line. I'm going to give you my allegiance. I want to make covenant with you. Abner went up to Hebron to meet David. They reconcile. They make peace. One who was an enemy of David becomes a friend of David. It's an amazing story. How if you can realize that sometimes those that are against you and oppose you are ultimately not going to be against you because God will turn their heart. If people have a right heart and you keep your heart right, God will turn those around. Sometimes that boss that you think is against you, all of a sudden you keep your heart right and don't mouth and don't gossip and don't stand up with a bad attitude and you just pray. God will turn their heart around toward you and he'll be the one that will be recommending you for a promotion. Come on, somebody. It's amazing how the Spirit of God will work if we'll just keep our hearts and our spirits right and clear. God will turn those with the right heart toward you. Finally, number four, and I'm finished. A kingdom leader realizes, first of all, if the promises of God are going to be fulfilled, it's not going to be without a fight. I'm going to have to fight. But a kingdom leader realizes, number four, he must walk justly even when those around him don't. Sad stories. 2 Samuel chapter 3, verses 26 through about 4, verse 12. Have, have two parts of two chapters here. Joab couldn't let go of the past. And he actually hears about Abner coming up to David in Hebron. Remember, Abner's the one who killed his younger brother Asahel, who was the fleet of foot, who was the athlete that all of Israel loved. Joab basically had chalked it up to the cost of a civil war. And he'd stopped the battle when Abner had basically sent out the charge and he says, when is this going to stop? You know it's going to be a bitter end. If we keep killing each other, there won't be any of us left. So David, I'm not David, I'm sorry, Joab basically makes peace, but it's temporary peace. He does not let the Lord deal with his heart, and Joab is not able to let go of the past. Even though he sits down with David and says, Abner has come to our side. He's made peace. He's a good man. It's unfortunate what happened to your brother, but you're going to have to forgive, and Joab would not listen. He goes out secretly Outside of David's command and David's word, he meets up with Abner and he kills him in cold blood. Out of revenge, because Abner had accidentally killed his younger brother, just trying to push him off with the butt of his spear, going, get back. You can read the story there in 2 Samuel 3. This is what the Bible says. David mourned Abner. Should Abner die as a fool dies, your hands were not bound, your feet were not fettered, as one falls before the wicked, you have fallen. Literally, we must realize as kingdom people, as parents, as business owners, as community leaders, as kingdom leaders, we must walk justly even when those around us don't. Even when they're determined to bring the hindrance or the wounding or the hurting or even the killing of somebody out of revenge because revenge is only to be in the hands of the Lord. If we can let it go and we can say, God, I give it to you, I promise you God will deal with those that need to be dealt with. 
And don't try to take matters into your own hands because the Bible says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Romans says, Speedily I will repay. God will take care of it if you'll just let it go. Sometimes the Lord, it takes a long time because we're so long in letting it go. We want to pray fire down on somebody. You know what? When you can really say, God, I forgive, God can discipline. He can deal with the enemy, but he can discipline his other children that are mistreating his children. Come on, somebody. And ultimately, if they're your brother and sister, you shouldn't want their demise or their destruction. I don't care what they've done to you. Let the Lord handle it. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing what I'm saying? All right, I'm finished this morning. 2 Samuel 4, 1. When Ishbosheth, Saul's son, heard that Abner had died at Hebron, his courage failed, and Israel was dismayed. Verse 2, now Saul's son had two men who were captains of raiding bands. The name of the one was Baana and the other one was Rechab. And to tell you the story there as I close this message today is after Abner died, these two guys who were supposed to be right-hand men to Ishbosheth, who really was just a young man who, who got played, they literally sneaked in when Ishbosheth was taking an afternoon nap and they drove a sword through his belly and killed him, cut his head off, ran up to Hebron as quickly as they could in David's presence and held up the head of Ishbosheth. This was David's response. Listen. As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life out of every adversity, when one told me, Behold, Saul is dead, and thought he was bringing good news, this is David, I seized him and killed him at Ziklag, which was the reward I gave him for his news. How much more when wicked men have killed a righteous man. Another translation says an innocent man. When wicked men have killed a righteous man in his own house and on his own bed, shall I not require his blood at your hand and destroy you from the earth? And David commanded his young men, and they killed Baana and Rechab and cut off their hands and feet and hanged them beside the pool at Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner at Hebron. And because David meted out justice righteously and defended the cause of someone who was on the throne, basically his opposition, but David still knew that in spite of that, that was a, a righteous man. And he didn't deserve somebody breaking in his house and somebody driving him through with a sword and cutting his head off. David said, away with you. I can't have that kind of thing in this kingdom. I mean, the Lord knows how to handle circumstances and situations and people that are going to propagate continuous destruction and killing. Come on, somebody. We must not be party to others' wrong actions. We must do the right thing when others don't. I hope you've gotten something out of this message today. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Let's pray together.